0: I'm like really excited to talk about this. Uh, I, I want to tell you first of all a story. Um, ten years ago, wow, ten years ago this month, uh, Jerry and I went to Munich, Germany, and we went to uh, to to the Oktoberfest, uh, in, and it uh, was the hundredth, I think, right, or the some monumental Oktoberfest. Uh, and, and we took my parents with us, and so. Uh, you know, a little background, I can speak enough German to get around, generally speaking. I can go in and buy stuff, I can check into a hotel, I can uh, order off of a menu. That's about it. If you have any sort of like other conversation, I'm, I'm stuck. Uh, I'm not sure that my dad does near as much as that. Uh, so we're sitting on this train, we've just gotten done with hanging out at the festival, and we're sitting on the train. And we're all on one side of the train headed back to our Airbnb. And this lady sits across from us, and she starts talking to my dad. And just 100 miles an hour, she starts talking to my dad. And my dad starts doing one of these. Uh, uh Uh-huh. And and nodding at her, so she just keeps talking. And I'm looking back and forth, and I'm like, I don't think he understands what she's saying. But he's nodding, and he looks at me, and he looks at her, nods at her, looks at me, like, are you going to do something about this? <laughs> and, and so a- after a little while, I told her, I was like, listen, I, I, he doesn't understand anything you're saying. And that was, I, I was like, he doesn't understand anything that you're saying. <laughs> and she just sort of sat back and just shrugged her shoulders, and that was kind of the, the end of the conversation but it's a funny illustration of what I, I think happens with so much of us with Scripture, isn't it? Like, as we read through the Bible and as we read through passages of Scripture, there are certain things that we just don't understand, so we just keep reading. Or we think we know, right? Anybody else like that? We think we know, and we just sort of read past it because we think, you know, it's, it's one of these things, you've, you've probably heard people say this, let's just preach the gospel. Have you ever asked them what that means? When people say, oh, we'll just preach the gospel. Like, there's this assumption that we all know what that means. And I would say that the fact that, like, Christianity is in decline in this country indicates that most of us don't actually know what that phrase means. But there's so much of the Bible that we do that, right? Have you ever done that? You're reading, you're like, I got no idea what that means. Don't, what is it? Don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. I don't, I don't know. I've never done that. Never tried to do that don't really foresee any, uh, any time that I'm going to do that, so I'm just going to read right on past. But we do that with so much of the Bible that we read through it, and we don't really know what most of it means a lot of times, and yet we assume either that, well, this one makes sense, or, or uh, you know, I'll figure that out someday, and we just assume. And I think that happens with a lot of passages, but specifically, what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at John 15, it's a passage that many of you have heard A thousand times. And yet, I think for a lot of us, we've never really thought, do I actually understand what it's saying? So if you have a Bible, turn to John 15. If uh, you've got a portable electronic device, you can do that. We have analog copies somewhere. We have analog copies somewhere. John chapter 15, I'll give you just a second. And we're going to look at beginning at verse 1, and here's what we read. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch, in me, uh, every branch that bear, does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one Uh, you know, it seems clear, right? Does it seem clear as to what Jesus is saying? This is like right before Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and he's talking to his disciples, and it seems clear. He says, remain in me, bear fruit. Remain in me, bear fruit. Remain in me, bear fruit. Remain in my love, bear fruit. And it seems clear as to what he's talking about. But what does it mean to remain in Christ? What does it mean to bear fruit? What is he even talking about when it comes to bearing fruit? And there's all kinds of ideas, right? You've probably heard this passage preached a hundred times and lots of different ideas. You know, bear fruit so you'll be more happy, more joyful. Bear fruit, which means we've got to pray for healing and see it happen. We've got to bear some fruit. You know, we've got to bear fruit by prophesying and seeing the word come to pass. We've got to bear some fruit. You know, we need to bear fruit and be more joyful and more peaceful and we're loving, life needs to go better, we're bearing much fruit. And that's sort of the way that I've heard this passage preached a lot of times. But what does it mean? Seems like the disciples get it. Like in the three chapters, 14, 15, 16. In the three chapters, everything Jesus says, they're sort of like, hold on. What do you mean? And then he explains it a little bit further. And it's like, well, we don't understand. We don't quite get it. If you'll just explain it a little bit better, if you'll just explain it, but he says this and they're just like, got it, bear fruit, understand. No question. Just get it. Totally get it. But what does Jesus mean? Does he mean that we just keep getting together? Does it mean to remain in Christ? Does it mean that you just keep coming into church and you just keep giving and you just keep praying and you keep reading your Bible? Is that what he means? Certainly, we've probably heard it preached this way, but here's the thing. Here's the key that makes this whole thing make sense, and most of us read right past. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Is this just sort of like he's like a, hey, man, I'm a gardener. You see all these vines over here. Let me just make an illustration. I'm the true vine. Is that what he's saying? It may be that Jesus is saying, well, you all get it. There's vines everywhere. You understand what a vine is and branches, and that makes some sense. You get that. But I think if you don't understand the history of the Old Testament, you miss the punch of what Jesus is saying here. All through Israel's history, God refers to Israel as his vine or his vineyard, that he planted a vine, he planted a vineyard. So Psalm 80 says this, you transplanted a vine from Egypt, You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. Israel is a vine. Or Isaiah 5, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. Israel is my vineyard planted with the choicest of vines. Over and over. And if you read Isaiah 5 further, God says... But it didn't bear any fruit, and it only bore bad fruit. God's purpose for choosing Israel and making a covenant with Israel was that the world would come to know the living God through these people that are not a people, and they're an insignificant group of people that God reveals Himself to these people and says, You will live out of this covenant, and you will demonstrate to the world what kind of a God I am. And you will offer to the world my salvation. That was the purpose of Israel, the whole purpose of Israel. And yet, all through the Old Testament, they failed. Over and over and over, they failed. They couldn't live up to it. They were unkind to the poor, and they didn't care about the marginalized. They didn't care about the, the alien and the widow. They broke the covenant over and over and over. And even when it seemed like, you know, this should, some of these things should be easy, it was like Israel didn't even want to do the right thing. And so, into this, Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, What Israel was made to do, what Israel was created to do, was to demonstrate to the world what I'm like and to offer the salvation of Yahweh to the world. They failed, they're out. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Jesus is saying, I now am going to do what Israel could not do. I am going to demonstrate to the world. And you are the branches. It's through you that my ministry will continue. That this will continue. You now, because you are in the vine, you now are the people who are going to demonstrate to the world what I'm like. That's the point. That the whole point of this the rest of this passage is that the world would come to know the living God and be in a saving relationship with the living God. Bear fruit becomes a lot clearer when we understand that the point is that the world would come into relationship with the living God. That's the whole point of this passage. So, what does he mean when he says bear fruit? Certainly, he gives a pretty dire warning, doesn't he? Like, if we're talking in, in gardening terms, I don't think being burned is a is a, like It's not something you want to do, right? Like It's not like, oh, you'll be cast off, cut off and burned. But he says, verse 2, He, that's the Father, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He's talking about v- branches in the vine that bear no fruit. He says, every branch in me. Don't think about people who are far from Christ. These are people who have heard the Word and have given their lives to Christ who bear no fruit. That's a pretty somber warning, isn't it? that God will cut off every branch in me that doesn't accomplish its intended purpose. Do you see that? Okay. He hears it. Verse 6, he says, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Certainly we don't want to be people who don't bear fruit, do we? That's, That's not what we would hope. So what fruit is Jesus talking about? Is it deeper knowledge of the Bible? Is it greater sense of peace? Is it greater sense of holiness and righteousness? Is that what God wants? He wants more holiness, more righteousness. Is it being more generous? Is it being more concerned with racial justice or the poor and the marginalized? Is it being more compassionate or more merciful or more kind? All of these apply, but what Jesus is primarily saying, what he has primarily in view, is the expansion of the kingdom of God. That God's rule and reign would expand to include more people. More people encountering and experiencing the salvation of Yahweh. That's the passage. The whole thing is about mission, the whole thing is about people coming into a relationship with God. That's the whole passage. It's about being in the world what Israel was not. So does that mean these things aren't important? Like, is it not important for us to, like, be generous or kind or loving? Do I not need to read the Bible anymore? Or is, like, holiness irrelevant? No, not at all. When you learn to ride a bike, there's a whole bunch of things you've got to do, right? If you go to ride a bicycle, there's a whole lot of, like, Tyler's riding a bicycle now. All over, all over town. If you see him, honk and wave. Um... But like if you go to ride a bicycle, if you want to learn to ride a bike, you got to learn to like balance on two wheels, right? You got to learn how to balance, you got to learn how to like stop. That's pretty important. You got to learn how to stop. You got to learn how to like steer. You got to learn how to shift gears. There's a whole bunch of things you have to learn. But the goal is not learning to shift. The goal is learning to ride the bike. All of those things are necessary to ride the bike, to get the enjoyment, the excitement, the thrill of riding the bike. But they are not the goal in and of themselves. The higher purpose is to ride the bike. In the same way, reading your Bible, choosing to be generous, uh, choosing to live out justice and mercy, choosing to live a life in alignment with God's character, these are all essential things to the kingdom, but none of them are the goal in and of themselves. That's not the point. Without them, you can't fulfill the ultimate purpose. But that's not the goal. The ultimate goal is that the whole world would come to saving knowledge of God. That's the goal. That's the point. That's what it is to bear fruit. The way to think about everything in your life is this. I'll give you a real simple grid. Does every area of my life testify to the reality is that God is my king? Does every area of my life testify to the reality that God is my king? Not just the king, my king. But can people look at my life and say, wow, the way that you handle social media, Jesus must be the king because the way you are on social media, there's something different about who you are. Does the amount of time that you spend attached to your device testify to the reality that God is your king? Does the amount of time that, you, that, that you, you spend on it testify to that? Or does it testify to the fact that we serve our devices? That they're not a tool for us to use anymore. These are the things that we serve. They become a God that we serve. Does the, rea- the way that I relate to other people testify to the reality that I understand that God has created people in His image? Or do I assign different values to people based on factors I've created. Well, they work really hard and they do a lot of things. You know, they, they own their own home or they whatever. Do I assign different values for people or do I understand that God is the King and all people are created in the image of God? Does the way I conduct myself in secret testify to, to the reality that God is King? Does it When nobody is looking... Or do I am I foolish enough to believe that what I do in secret doesn't also tarnish the way that I live in public? Does the way I post on social media represent a conviction that God is king, or do I have to be right and defend myself? It's a good question to ask ourselves, right? Does the way I conduct myself with respect to politics reflect the reality that God is my king? Or do I actually believe that Joe Biden or Donald Trump can save this nation? Do I actually believe that nonsense? Or do I live out of the reality that God is my king and it's up to him to save the people? Look at our lives. Does every area of my life testify to the reality that God is my king? And our tendency, when we hear this, some of you heard some of these things and you're going, yeah, but Derek, you just don't understand let me, just, let me just explain, and you'll get it. Let me justify myself a little bit. You know, you know I, I have to be on my phone for work, and so I'm on it a lot, but it's because I have to be on it for work. Or, you know, you don't know. That, that person, they're an illegal immigrant. If they would follow the law. You know, if, if people would get shot if they would just follow the law. You know, all lives matter. Don't you understand? It's not okay. We justify ourselves, don't we? You know what I do in the privacy of my home. It doesn't really impact anybody, and as long as it doesn't bother anybody else, it's probably okay. Or you know, I need to fix everybody who's wrong on the internet. I need to fix them. I, 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 you know, that's that's not true. So I need to make sure that truth happens on the internet. Which I mean, if you're going to do that, that's good luck. Good luck. I saw this picture, this meme. It's like there's a there's a guy hacking away at a computer. And then the little bubble is probably from his wife. And she says, come to bed. And he says, I can't. Someone's wrong on the internet. Thank you for the chuckle. You know, Derek, you don't understand. You know, like, we have to elect this person as president because there are pressing issues for our nation. And can I just say, there is no more pressing issue for our nation than the people of God demonstrating the reality that God is our king. That's the most important thing in this whole election season is that we who follow Jesus demonstrate to the world that God is our king, that we don't bow the knee and we won't bow to anything else. Does every area of my life testify to the reality that God is my king? And then the ultimate purpose is do my lips also speak of the salvation of God. You see, the purpose is not that we would get more holy, that that happens, but it happens on the way to the ultimate purpose, that the salvation of God would be shared to the whole world. This is the fruit that Jesus says we're supposed to bear, that we now act as Israel could not. And it requires that we speak of the salvation we've experienced. Here's a critical uh, mistake that so many of us make here. A lot of times we read verse 5 like this, right? How many of you have read verse 5 like it goes like this? I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do a few things fairly well. Do we read the passage that way? Like maybe we don't read it that way, but we live that way. You know, like, I mean, I'll put my time on uh, with with Jesus sort of on the shelf because I got other things to do. But that's not what he says. It's not what he says. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Does your calendar reflect that reality? Does the people that you meet with and the way you go about doing your Christian life reflect the reality that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing? I know I've lived my life at times in that way. You know, I'm like, I mean, we got we go. got to go around and convert people. we got to get them. they got to know about Jesus. And so I'm going to muscle up, and I'm going to do this thing, and we're going to go around, and we're going to make it happen. And I think Jesus just sort of like laughs at me like, come on, man. You really, think, you really think that you have it, that you can do it, that you can sort of forego 30 or 40 minutes with me in the morning, and somehow you can bring about my kingdom. I think he laughs at us. Remain in me and you bear much fruit. Don't remain, you can't bear any fruit. So it's critical to remain in Christ. And the word here for remain is like, the, it, it, otherwise it gets translated, some of your translations might say, abide, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Or dwell, dwell in me and you bear much fruit. Or stay. How does that work? How do I remain in Christ? Jesus says there's two things that are necessary which continually feed each other. Number one is obey. Number two is pray. Obey and pray. Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And then verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command. What Jesus is saying is that to remain means that you do what Jesus says. We don't tend to like the word obey, do we? Like, it's not one of our favorite things. I mean, it is whenever we're talking to our kids. If you have kids, you're like, why don't you obey me? And then Jesus goes, yeah. (laughs) One of the things I try to be really, really clear about, you know, like we did baptism a few weeks ago. And any time that I have conversations with people about what it is to live the life of Jesus, I see. It's, it's about obedience. It's about you giving up control, that you're no longer in charge. Here's the picture of what it is to be obedient to Jesus. You know, you're in the car, Jesus is in the passenger seat, and you're driving, and you guys are having a conversation. And at some point, Jesus goes, you know you're gonna have to let me drive that, right? So you pull over, you put it in park, you get out, you walk around the car, and you trade seats, and now Jesus drives the car, and he pulls off, and he starts going where he wants to go. He's in charge. You can say, hey, Jesus, if you go left over here, there's a really cool, you can see the, you know, like the biggest crayon in the world. Jesus is like, we're not going there. You know, Jesus, if we go over here, you can see the big Georgia peach, and Jesus is like, all right, let's go, let's go see the Georgia peach. Like, you can ask God for things, right? As you pray, you can say, hey, Jesus, you know what I really would love to see? I would really love to see this particular thing happen. And Jesus goes, yeah, okay, let's do that. But sometimes you go, Jesus, I really want this to happen. You know, I really want to really have a building or I really want to have a, how many different prayers have we prayed in the history of this church that Jesus is like, yeah, we're just not doing that. You've probably lived a life that way, right? Like you pray, and if you are going to be obedient to Jesus, then he gets to call the shots. And sometimes you pray for things, and he's like, that would destroy you. (laughs) God, make us a big influence in the city. And God's like, if you do that, you'll die. We're not going to do that. This is what it is to obey Jesus, right? That I've handed the whole thing over, that he's in control, that I no longer call the shots on my life. There's nothing about my life that I'm in charge of any longer. At first, it really is painful, isn't it? You guys remember, like right after you you gave your life to Jesus? You got baptized and you were like, I'm going to be holy now. (laughs) And then you're like, why am I doing all the same stuff I used to do? How come nothing seems like it's changed? And obedience to Jesus looks like, hey, stop that. It's a lot like a kid, right? Smack the hand off the thing. Stop that. If you put your hand on the stove, it will burn you. Jesus is like, stop that. If you keep talking about people behind their back, you're going to hurt them and they're going to hurt you. Hey, stop that. You actually should care about somebody who looks different than you. Stop that. I gave you that money to give away. That's what it looks like initially, right? It's these like little things. It's like, Stop that. Do it this way. Go here. Do that. You should care about this. It's these little simple behaviors. That's how it starts, right? And then as you learn the way uh, that Jesus does things, it becomes a little bit easier. You're like, man, okay, I kind of got this. I think I got this knocked out. Like, I get up in the morning, I pray for a little while, I read the Bible for a little while. I give some money to some homeless guy on the street. I go to you know go down and I, I I go to the pantry and I work there and I and I go over here and I hang out with these people and we study the Bible together and then I share my faith at Sheets and then I pray for somebody over at you know at um, that store doesn't exist in this city. Never mind. At uh, now I'm stuck. Rite Aid. There you go. Clay Cup. I was I almost said Costco. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't exist here. But I've sort of got it, right? I kind of, I think I got it. And then Jesus goes, you know, you've got the motions pretty good. Now, let me teach you the why. Let me shape your why. Let me teach you to be obedient at a heart level, not just a functional level. The pruning hook comes out. I mean, that's the whole idea, right? Like, God says that he will prune those who bear fruit so they bear more fruit. That's why it's so hard. The pruning hook comes back out, and Jesus goes about fixing your internal motivations. Now he says, hey, go back to that person who hurt you, and I want you to offer forgiveness. And that hurts a lot, doesn't it? Have you ever had someone who hurt you deeply? And God says, I want you to go, and I want you to extend my forgiveness to that person. And your response is, they don't deserve it. You don't understand. This is what they did to me. And God's like, we're changing your heart here. Go and offer forgiveness to somebody who hurt you deeply. He tells you to go to the parent who had abandoned you and try to begin a relationship. And because obedience is the way, you say, okay, I'm going to do it. And this is not going to be comfortable. I think he's okay with that, right? This is not going to be comfortable. He's like, yeah, I know. He tells you to confront your racist tendencies by engaging in relationship with someone who looks different than you. Have you ever found yourself having a conversation with someone who looks different with you and having this question pop up, what can't I say now? Have you ever had that happen? You go sit down with somebody and you realize that I used to say some things that are really not okay. Okay because now I'm afraid that those might not be okay when I'm sitting here with somebody. He tells you to confront the ways that you relate to the poor by giving way more than you're comfortable with. And as you obey, you remain in Christ and you're shaped to bear fruit. Jesus says, if you obey, you will remain. And then in verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Anybody see that like a genie in the bottle? Ask whatever you wish. It seems like a really big promise. Maybe we would think we're misreading the passage, but then Jesus doesn't actually mean it, right? And then jump down to verse 16. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And what does he say? And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Anything, whatever I ask, there it is again, whatever you ask. In fact, in chapters 14 to 16, he says it five times. If you remain in me, whatever you ask, my father will give you. What does he mean? Can I really ask for a new car? I mean, that sounds like the prosperity gospel a little bit. Can I really ask for a bigger house? What does it mean? Let me just say no before I get too far, before people are like, I'm writing this guy an email. Jesus is saying that if you dwell in me, if you are obedient to what I tell you to do, you are going to find yourselves missionally in places where you need things that you can't do. It is a miracle when anyone comes to know Jesus. And whatever it is, however big we think we are in the miracle game, Miracles aren't our things to do. God does miracles through us. So you find yourselves in places where God has called you to be in a mission to see someone, their heart level changed, that they would surrender to Jesus. And you will find yourselves going, I so badly want that person to know Jesus, and I can't do it. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, if you remain in me, my father will do it the only way the neighbors that you have the only way the coworkers that you have come to know jesus is because you lean so heavily into prayer with your father that their hearts would be changed you find yourself in a missional space where someone needs healing and you know you can't do it and you know the doctor can't do it and you pray Because you're in this space where you've been obedient, and your Father does it. You pray. That's how it works. You obey, and you pray. It's not like, you know, there's not a Jesus, Jesus is not saying, all right, my Father's a genie in the bottle. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, if you remain in me, you will be in places where my Father is going to have to act on your behalf, and he will do it. You obey, and you pray. There's this quote, and I'll wrap it up with this. There's this quote. When we think about mission, and we think about people coming to know Jesus, it says, in the work of mission, the church advances on its knees. We think by our great might that we will win the day. We think that by our great might, revival will happen, and the You know, that the whole city will come to know Jesus. It's not at all by the things that we do. It's by us leaning into our Father and saying, we can't do this, but you can. We remain in Christ, and we bear fruit by obeying and praying. That's the point. Here's the thing. I think there's probably a lot of us around this space who have heard this this is, you know, well, if you remain in Christ, you'll be happier. If you remain in Christ, you'll, you'll be holier and you'll bear fruit by being more joyful and more loving. And all those things are true. But maybe for some of you, this is the first time that you've heard that Jesus is calling you into the identity that Israel had. And I think while we worship, as we're going to move into communion and worship, I think that while we worship, I think for a number of you, God wants to meet you and give you his heart for the world, like for your next-door neighbors, for your coworkers. I've heard some really cool stories. This is a side note. As we've been planning to move into houses, some really encouraging and really cool stories about people who are trying to reach those around them who don't know Jesus. And that's so exciting to me because I think that's what we're here for. That's why we know Jesus. It's not so that we get to be some happy, clappy group. It's so that the world would know Jesus. I've been really encouraged, but I think God wants more for us here. I think for a number of you, God wants to meet you and give you his heart for mission. maybe not mission overseas. Maybe that's mission on your block. Maybe that's mission where you work. That you're not placed there by accident, but you're placed there to be the light in the place of darkness. And so as we move into worship, I would love it if some of you would would be willing to stand up and pray over here. If you want to get prayer while worship is happening, there'll be a couple people on either side, and I think God wants to meet you in that, and he would love to impart to you his heart for the world, his heart for your next-door neighbor.